It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was good. But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. It's the beginning of the week, fellow conspiracy realists, which means it is time for some strange news. In this case, some very strange news. Today, we are exploring... Brutal corporate scandals. Uh, I, I think it goes deeper than just a corporate scandal, I would say. We're exploring a literal plague, like something that would not be out of place in the Old Testament. And we are questioning the fundamental nature of how we experience time. We yeah. being the human species. Uh, that's This is a funny one, actually, guys. Um, it reminds me, not spoiling the story too much, have you have you guys ever heard of the Russian drinking game Submarine? Have we ever talked about that? No. Okay. Not, not to my knowledge. So in Russia, for a long time, there's been this drinking game called Submarine. And I don't know if you can even call it a game. Russian, uh, Russian speakers or people familiar with this, please write in and explain to us what 
is defined as winning this game because I I am at a loss to understand it. It sounds like there's no winning this game. (laughs) It's, it feels, okay, here's what happens. So if you want to play submarine, you get together with a crew of uh, like-minded colleagues. You find an apartment for this purpose. You black out all of the windows of the apartment. You get rid of all the clocks, anything that can help you interact with the outside world or let you know what's going on. And you take a ton of alcohol in there and you just drink and drink and drink in the darkness. And the game ends when you run out of booze. What? Like, who, seems dangerous, right? It's it, it on multiple levels. Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> I think everybody has a close crew of friends, but I've never been hanging out with anybody I know and thought, you know, it'd be awesome if we were locked in the dark in an apartment and just tried to give ourselves alcohol poisoning. But yeah, maybe, yeah. Well, what if you did it instead in a cave? Segway. I like it. That's okay. Let's go there first. So this is this is a weird one. Uh, some of our friends, our fellow listeners on Here's Where It Gets Crazy, are also aware of this. Uh, it caught my eye as well. Someone is taking uh, taking the booze out of the submarine concept, and they are launching an experiment, which is going on as we record today, to understand more about the fundamentals of how human beings perceive time. This is fascinating because time is something, and we've talked about this before, but time is something that we seem to experience, right, uh, in a linear fashion, most mostly. But if you drill down into the way the human brain works and you drill down into the ways different cultures encounter and think about time, then you find the rules of the game get a little fuzzy at the edges. Like if you have ever, if you have ever spent an extended amount of time, there we are. If you ever spent an extended amount of time, like out in the woods or somewhere where your body and your mind are marking the passage of seconds and hours and days, just based on the patterns of the sun, the stars, and the moon, then you'll notice that pretty quickly your body clock will start to obey something different from the 24-hour period that um, all most societies, the vast majority of societies practice, right? Like, has this ever happened to you guys? Have you ever been away from the human concept of time as it's marked and then noticed your sleep patterns changing, noticed your waking activity peaks moving to different times? Well, and I think this is a hot issue for a lot of people, but daylight savings times all or saving time. I always forget if there's an S there or not. always messes me up. Just that one hour, it changes my whole perception of time for a couple of days. Uh, And if something as simple as like, you know, pushing the clock forward or back an hour can do that, uh, obviously it is kind of a a psychological construct. But yeah, no, I mean, and it also depends. I mean, COVID did it too, I think, for a lot Mm -hmm. of us when you didn't have as many things to mark the time with or a commute, for example, or a time that you had to show up in person and be a place. I think there was, you know, the joke, it became a cliche or what even is time during (laughs) this COVID, you know, situation? Yeah, I I would just say the the internal clock of when the sun is supposed to appear and when it's supposed to go away, really like having that change arbitrarily by the humans deciding that it's an hour earlier or later really does 
something internally to to my biology. Mm-hmm. I, I I can say that for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I love pointing out the social structure aspect of this because time zones, you know, which largely come about uh, due to the railroad industry, time zones have in some cases become a tool of control. Like the way time zones work in China is very different, (laughs) to to put it simply, very different from the way time zones work in the U.S. And there are also, you know, historical accounts of calendrical changes where like populations of a certain town felt their days were quote-unquote stolen from them. And although that might sound a little bit absurd or ridiculous when we look back uh, with the benefit of retrospect, the point is absolutely true. It feels like someone is stealing an hour from your life when when everybody has to jump ahead an hour. And, you know, it feels a little bit like time travel when you get that hour back, back later. Uh, so we do know, we do know that there are various, maybe a good way to describe them as various kinds of time. Like Einstein's famous quote about uh, relativity. Uh, <laughs> Well, attributed to Einstein. This this brings us to a very interesting experiment in France. There are 15 people. They're volunteers. They have been sealed in a dark cave. It's going to run for 40 days. Uh, They have no access to natural light. They have no ability to tell time. So they are living a troglodytic existence they have no source of light at all. No phones, no watches. The only way that they will be able to have some sort of routine of wake and sleep is uh, going to be based on their own body rhythms and based on their own uh, reactions to the other 14 people in their cohort. This is massively disorienting. You know, like just like we talked about all the time when we record, sometimes we'll we'll be in the booth here and we'll start, you know, like matinee movie rules, right? Start around 4.30 or something. And then we'll leave our respective areas and we'll see that it's dark. That's disorienting. Imagine that for 40 days, right? Yeah, this is, okay. Let me just wrap my head around this. There's no light in that cave or are they using light from out? There's no sunlight either. The only source of light from what I understand, is through this pedal-driven dynamo that's going to be creating electricity. So there are people just pedaling in the dark. <laughs> like, hey, I need to see something. Someone, get on the bike. Uh, oh, wow. So they, yeah, they have to work together where one individual has to be on the bike and then the rest of the group can get something done. Mm-hmm. Wow. And the volunteer, okay. the volunteers range in age from 27 to 50. They have different walks of life different jobs, and they're all fitted with these sensors that scientists outside the cave can use to measure uh, their body's response to this incredibly unnatural situation. According to neuroscientist Professor Etienne Copeland, this experiment is a world first. Uh, The other, anything else like this, like there have been other isolation experiments, right? Biosphere, for instance, which inspired a fantastic Polly Shore Film. I'm kidding. It was was it Polly Shore? Was it Biodome? Oh, yeah, Biodome. I was joking. It was a joke. Uh, Biodome. Yeah, it was one of the first appearances on the big screen of uh, Tenacious D as well. If I'm not mistaken. Did not know that. 
if everything goes according to plan, this team of 15 will leave this cave on April 22nd. So not a super long time for us, but who knows how much time quote-unquote time it is for them. Oh, yeah, and when, when, when they emerge, will they ever be the same again? That's my question. That's a great question. I mean, this also, you know, arguably, even though these folks are volunteers, this could be seen as skirting the limits of ethics as we understand them for human, uh, for human experimentation. Of course, they are being continually monitored, so we would assume that if something if someone has a grievous injury or a really bad reaction, the scientists will pull them out. But we don't know for sure just because it's never been done. If you want to learn more about this, you can go to deeptime.fr. You can pick a, a couple of different languages to learn more about this. For the point of ethics, you know, uh, this this could also be seen as similar to the Stanford prison experiment. This could also be seen as similar to the Biosphere 2 specifically. Biosphere 2 is a bit of a cautionary tale because that experiment had to end when the oxygen inside the people container, the biodome, hit dangerous levels and everyone involved, all eight people, nearly starved to death. What does this tell us? Why are we doing this weird, cool, fascinating thing. Well, in the future, if humanity does not self-destruct, there are going to be increasing cases of long-term isolation. They're kind of similar to this. Maybe not in the fact that they're in a cave, but imagine you're in space. You, you are escaping the star that has ruled your life for so very long. Astronaut time is a thing, and it's going to be an increasingly complicated thing as humanity travels, humanity and um, all the paraphernalia of humanity, travel deeper into the ink that surrounds Earth. I want to know if you guys would do it. Uh, no. <laughs> That's a hard pass for me. Um, sure, yeah, I, I would do this. Mm-hmm. For sure, I would do this. Um, You're so first, game, Matt. Well, I respect that. Well, caves are the best. And if you don't believe that and you don't uh, fully or if you're not fully on board with caves, then let's have a conversation and I will I will change your mind. I will cave in that conversation. Caves have a bad rap, though, Matt. You think about, you know, cave collapses, you know, creepy things live in caves. Like, where, where are you getting all this positive cave of energy from? Look, mines collapse. And that's because humans are trying to get stuff out of the holes in the earth that are there. Caves don't collapse that often, especially if you take care to maintain them and you're aware, you know, that it's an important structure. It's cool. Mm. There's a whole there's a whole ecosystem that's living down there. Um, the other thing is you're in the dark. You don't have a lot of tools. You've got that bike that can provide you with much needed, much needed light. There's not much to do. Um, I'm wondering what I would get up to besides having philosophical conversations with with my cohort. Yeah, that's the thing. Like I would I would 100% do this by myself. I don't know if I would want to do it with 14 other people or with anybody else. Really, just leave leave me leave me down there with the creepy stuff that only exists in that ecosystem. You might be startled if you are not too familiar with caves and caverns. You might be startled to learn just how many are still unexplored. 
There's a lot of stuff going on under the surface there. Uh, the point about unique ecosystems is also fascinating. I'm a, I'm a big fan of caves. Years ago, uh, we all watched, oh gosh, what was it? Planet Earth? Was that the Love name it. of it? Or so Life? good. They, they have these two great episodes. It's stereotypical of me, but the two great episodes that I really enjoyed were the ones about the depths of the ocean, the abyssal plain, and uh, the ones about caverns and cave ecosystems. Because the fact of the matter is everything basically runs on the energy from the sun. We talked about it in that episode where we ruined sunscreen. Caves kind of do a little bit because creatures that travel to and from caves become the foundation of the cavern's ecosystem, specifically guano. Or that's like the most amazing stuff you see in a lot of caves uh, is fueled by that shit. Uh, and that's like that's how the sun's energy gets in there. Um, without nerding out too much about caves, this could also this experiment could also instruct us on how to handle the physiological and psychological changes humans experience in submarines. See, I brought it back. It wasn't just a Russian drinking game. And, I knew you would, dude. I knew you would. Oh, thanks, man. And with with this in mind, you know, we want to hear from you, folks. Would you do this? Have you done something like this? What is the longest you have been away from the concept of human time as we understand it today? Uh, last fun fact here. Uh, you know, to your point, Noel, I think a lot of people experienced some surprising shifts in their body cycles, circadian rhythms, the wake-sleep divide and ratio uh, during COVID and during the pandemic. Before the advent of, you know, man-made light, electric light in particular, uh, people did live and wake and sleep following the patterns of the sun, but people also tended to practice what today is called polyphasic sleep. So the, the idea of sleeping at an eight-hour stretch every 24 hours is like a good ballpark, but for many reasons, uh, that, doesn't, that doesn't work for everybody. And back in the day, before people had electric lights and clocks, a lot of folks would sleep in like four-hour increments, and you'd wake up in the middle of the night and that's when you get up to the weird stuff, you know? That's when you would do things you didn't want the other people in your village to know about. Go to your Sabbath, you know, uh, cast some spells, sneak around and steal stuff. And there's a good argument to be made that the concept of human time as we understand it now will prove to be somewhat of a fad thousands and thousands of years in the future. Like if you if you live on Mars in the future, or if you live you know, further out somewhere, then what, what good really is the calendar? What, what does, what is your birthday at this point? When do you, when do you sleep when you're on a planet that doesn't have what you understand as a 24 hour day and even further? And the current concept of time becomes even less relevant when we consider how complicated it is to measure time while you're traveling. Right. So like, let's say you're traveling from Earth to another solar system um, for some reason. That was a good thing to do. The technology was there. Elon Musk really pitched you hard at Davos or something. So you're on board. What good is that clock? It'll it'll count, you know, in your spaceship. 
you'll be like, okay, this is definitely 5.17 p.m. And it's definitely Tuesday here on our spaceship. But that will not mean a thing to the people of Earth or the people of whatever destination you're at. Uh, shout out to Interstellar, the way they play with time. Yes, exactly. It, it's it's very interesting to me because it feels like you'd only keep that around as a means of organizing everybody's actions and duties, right? That is the only reason why you would maintain time on a spaceship. Make sure that everybody who needs to be in the engineering room is in the engineering room. Make sure that, that everyone gets to use the washing facilities uh, separated out over time. Um, that's really, yeah, that's, you never really think about that when you're watching the folks on Star Trek just hanging out on the Enterprise doing stuff and everybody's synchronized. You never really think about it. And he always does mark a date and time <laughs> yeah, with that yeah. captain's star, log. Star date. Whatever. Is, that, is he using a real system there or is that just kind of made up within the, the lore of the universe? Well, you know, our human concept of time is relatively made up, you could argue. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And I was going <laughs> to ask you uh, before we moved on um, if you think, you know, the biological stuff connected with the sun is more powerful, as powerful or less than the way we interact with other people and our routines. Because as we know, like so much of how we mark time has to do with how we interact with other people who are on the same time standard as we are. So if we say travel to the West Coast or, you know, overseas, it takes a few days to get up to speed with everyone else who's been existing on that, let's call it, you know, timetable or what have you. Um, what, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I, I, I think my mind would say... Well, I mean, we know there's two aspects to it. We know there is a biological circadian rhythm thing that we all have to some extent. Whether or not we stick to it is kind of up to us. Um, I, I know I certainly don't. I do not sleep enough. I know several of us on this show do the same. Boom um, to sleep. Yeah, that's right. I know. Oh, I know how you feel. Dude, come. <laughs> um, but I would say the most beneficial thing for time and timekeeping is to be in sync with one another. You're, uh, that's what I would say, Noel. Yeah, time is, I, I'm tempted to agree. Time is um, the way humans understand it. Time is sort of a study of relationships, right? It's time exists in context. To these these tasks, these activities, these interactions, I would argue, you know, I'm freestyling here, but I would argue biological time or the timetable that Earth moves on without humans is more important because you could destroy all the clocks. Like you could destroy all the clocks and methods of measuring time the way we understand it, and you would still see biological time, which cannot be erased. Mm -hmm. And you would also, I mean, it'd be impossible to tell people not, to, like, nobody build watches. You will be arrested if you have a sundial. That'll never work. Totally. And, and you can obviously tell time by just the passage of the sun. It's very, it's very easy. But but what if the sun, say, was like blacked out? What if the sun, I know that would like, you know, for all intents and purposes, uh, do a lot of harm, if not completely eradicate life on Earth. But what if we didn't have that and we lived in complete darkness except for artificial light and we had to just make benchmarks for ourselves? Like how, how, would, uh, how do you think that would uh, affect our, our minds uh, and when we have to just agree when to sleep? Because obviously the constant here is that we as human beings need to sleep at some point for some duration. 
For now, yeah, you're right. That's uh, what the study's all about. That's yeah, a, that's the exciting exactly. thing going on here. Mm-hmm. I was going to say we will we'll have to ask our fearless volunteers when they emerge, hopefully unscathed. Uh, this this is going to be a very important question. We also want to hear from you folks. As always, do let us know conspiracy at iheartradio.com or give us a call one eight three three S T D W Y T K. It's the longest you've been away from human time. What did it do to you? Did you return to quote unquote normal? Or do you still sleep in like four two hour increments spread across this somewhat arbitrary 24 hours? And I'm kidding. It's not arbitrary. There is a logic to it. But uh, we are going to pause for a word from our sponsor and we will return in time with another piece of strange news. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always dive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. She's a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. 
the war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with more strange news. Uh, this one's super strange. It's a, it's a very small story, but it's a small story that when uh, multiplied and taken, you know, as a whole, it's a huge story. Um, am I being cryptic? Yes. Uh, it is about mice. Story about mice specifically in Australia. Uh, and uh, they have had some real biblical issues in Australia over the past few years. I mean, they did, thank God, they did such a good job of eradicating COVID super quickly. They seem to handle that really well, but then they obviously had all those terrible wildfires that were absolutely out of control, so they, they needed a break with the COVID thing, so that's, that's fantastic, but now they have another one that's apparently been happening since October, um, and it is a, an essentially biblically proportioned plague of rodents. Um, so why is this happening? Um, I, I, I'm having a little bit of a hard time. I think they are having a hard time kind of perfectly nailing it down, but it has to do with, um, a significant drought, uh, followed by a significant portion of rain or rainy season that caused the mouse population to absolutely balloon. Um, so essentially what's happening in the, uh, eastern part of Australia is uh, they're just seeing, you know, thousands and thousands of mice. I saw one article that described it as like a sentient carpet of mice just moving as though it were one giant, you know, organism like a hive mind. Um, and this is happening specifically in uh, New South Wales, Australia, uh, southern Queensland, to the point where it's like people are just have all of these mice war stories. Um, there, there was an account uh, in The Guardian uh, from Lisa Gore, who lives in the fantastically named town of Toowoomba. Uh, and she said that um, they have had to strip the fabric off of their furniture because it smells so bad. Uh, and when they did that, they actually found a nest of baby mice inside the stuffing. Um, you know, local officials are recommending everyone plug up any entry or exit point to their houses, like in terms of like little, you know, holes or, or crevices with steel wool, because these mice have found uh, ways to get in just about every way you can imagine. Imagine. Um, there's a video I have here from Matilda Bosley. It's a tweet, uh, hashtag mouse plague, and it is absolute nightmare fuel. It's a shot of like one of those like office type vents, you know, the uh, concentric squares with the slots in between. Um, and you literally just see dozens of glinting eyes peering at you from out of the darkness. Um, it, it is, it is terrifying stuff. Uh, and apparently it's so bad in the same way that, you know, when COVID hit, we were having a hard time getting toilet paper and, um, sanitizer or, you know, uh, like various cleaning supplies, um, mouse traps are impossible to get in this part of Australia. Uh, and people are saying the smell 
is absolutely unbearable because of these creatures just, you know, hide in the walls and then they just die. And he said, it's so difficult to find all the bodies. There was one report from a store owner saying that they're catching between 400 and 500 in a week's time. Um, and yeah, they, uh, literally like this grocery store owner saying they have to get rid of five or six bins of groceries that they're having to throw out each week. And here, here's sort of a explanation that, that they think might be the case of why this explosion of the mouse population is happening. Um, after quite a few years of severe drought, which is responsible for those wildfires in rural New South Wales and parts of Queensland, they had a bit of a rainy season that came and gave them a bumper crop. Um, but with all of these new grains and vegetables uh, came an explosion of this mouse population. They started noticing it as far back as October. Um, and it was literally just, you know, uh, waves and waves of these mice just taking over the land. And it's just gotten worse. Um, there was a one report guess, from that same shop owner saying that this has so far cost his business $30,000. And uh, in the same way that COVID ravaged so many small businesses, businesses, this is doing the same and that they're not sure how they're going to be able to continue with these kind of losses. Um, and this is uh, talking about after three months of this, this type of loss. Um, and it's affecting people's daily lives too. They're, they're getting into people's cars, you know, they're getting into people's homes and bedrooms and uh, just like, you know, pooping everywhere and urinating everywhere. And like I said, dying in the walls. Um, and, and you can Google this uh, and, and you, you'll see um, just insane footage of, like I said, these things crawling into uh, underneath the bottoms of cars, uh, into fr refrigerators, industrial equipment, uh, things like that. And it's, I just don't know, how do you even deal with that? There were some accounts from families saying, you know, oh, we're making it kind of a family affair. We've got the kids helping us create improvised traps out of wine bottles and buckets. There's an account of one family having drowned more than 300 mice in a bucket uh, just to, just to kind of make a dent. And yet with the absolute scale of this infestation, people don't think it's making a lick of difference. Yeah. There's a, there's a really interesting thing going on here for a very long time. The Island slash continent of Australia was a unique environment, right? Like if you look at just the preponderance of marsupials, animals that do not live anywhere else on the planet, uh, you can see in very clear terms how the arrival of the outside world, along with all its accoutrement and living creatures, how, how just how profoundly it affected the natural Australian environment. Plagues like this, or like this one in particular, I would argue, can occur because the mice are an invasive species, which means the ecosystem here has not... Um, has not evolved a a response, right? Something to cut this off. And there was more food available. A bumper crop means an unusually large harvest, right? So this causes the mice to get get to mycin earlier in the season than usual. But one thing uh, that I think we should point out, very important here, this is not the first mice plague rodeo for Australia. That's right. Uh, they came, mice came with Europeans in 1788, and they have had other plagues like f ever since then for the past few centuries. I mm -hmm. think the biggest one, at least before this, was 1993. Like the size of the plague is accelerating. 
Exactly. 1984, I believe, was called like the, they had literally call it the mouse plague of 1984. I've just never really thought of the term mouse plague before. But if that's something that's, you know, part of your world, I, I guess there's no better way of, of referring to it. Um, but you're right, Ben. The government of New South Wales has been pretty uh, unhelpful. And they, you know, citizens and store owners and, and, and small businesses, et cetera, have been asking to get relief in the form of whether it's pesticides or or traps or more like analog kind of methods just to help them. Uh, they are not so far coming to anyone's aid. Uh, apparently, they're very wary, according to this Guardian article, of spending what would essentially amount to tens of millions uh, of dollars to try to wipe out this plague when they believe and this is probably a more grounded in reality belief uh, than that of, you know, uh, COVID disappearing with a change of season. Um, they believe that a cold snap or a heavy period of rain could wipe them out naturally. But, you know, that's a lot for people to bank on when they're, they're literally, you know, having to kill hundreds of mice every day. And you have these pictures of like children, you know, like uh, making improvised mousetraps and holding up these 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 uh, trophies almost. I just, you know, I had one situation. I lived in a house very temporarily. Um, when I first moved to Atlanta, I was staying with a friend um, and we had mice in the walls and it smells uh, atrocious. And we did have a situation where we had one in a trap that was still halfway alive and we didn't know what to do. It's like you want to be humane and it's so inherently inhumane. But I imagine all that would go straight out the window when you're dealing with just literally thousands of them, you know? Yeah, there are a couple problems here. Um, the first one is you can't really do a Charlie Day thing where you just go down to the basement with a metal pole and you just bash some rodents, right? You can't just Doing bash props. all the rodents. All right. um, but, and it's mostly because they're so small and so fast. There's so many of these and they're so tiny. Um, you can't do that. What I'm proposing, I want to see what you guys think about this. Some kind of new vacuum system that incorporates cheese at the end of the a large-mouthed hose, that uh, the cheese is affixed at the end of the large hose, and it's a silent vacuum. It has to be very quiet. And not silent, but just quiet, quiet running. So the vacuum part is far away from where the actual hose end is. And then you just vacuum the mice into a container. It's safe. doesn't kill them. And then you can transport them to Mice Island. Now, we can either build Mice Island or we can, you know, decide... This island is now Mice Island. Um, whichever way, it really doesn't matter. I feel like building Mice Island could be cooler, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm, my intense gaze is, is me like thinking through and, and wondering if we can get this, get this locked down with like Dyson or something before, before someone scoops us. Uh, or, there you or, go. Send them to Snake Island. That's, that's coming directly <laughs> from Doc Holliday. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, or even Cat Island, you know, Cat mm -hmm. Island would be would be cool. Mm -hmm. they'd, they'd have a, a field day. I mean, I had an indoor outdoor cat for for a while uh, years ago who would constantly bring little mice trophy, you know, serial killer slayings kind of and leave them at my doorstep. Um, so I know their game for a little mice eradication. It'd be an absolute field day. I do want to point out, too, that like this is a several fold problem because obviously these creatures can uh, can cause 
the spread of disease mm-hmm. and they are a self uh, replicating system, obviously, because they breed uh, insanely. Apparently female mice uh, can breed from six weeks old and give birth to 50 baby mice uh, or pups um, a single year. So, you know, multiply that with the thousands already in existence. Uh, that's absolutely staggering. Yeah. And it's also cyclical, right? From what I understand, this plague returns around every four years or so. And, you know, um, I know the mice are definitely the quote unquote bad guy antagonist in this situation, but they're just doing what they have evolved to do. And I guarantee you, when the population reaches this kind of density, the mice are miserable too. Right? Of course they uh, are. Resources are in short supply. A lot of them are going to be living very short, very brutal lives. Uh, but still, <laughs> the disease vector is the main thing for for the humans involved. And then this co- this like this is expensive. We're talking millions and millions of dollars of it, damage. It's true damage to to, to crops, uh, to property. We're talking about like bales of hay, even that are being infested by these mice, and you know they're urinating and uh, pooping in in the bales of hay. And there was some figure that it's cost the farming industry several millions of dollars already just in uh, bales of hay that have to be destroyed because you can't feed you know hay to cows because it would kill them or it would make them very sick, right? Um, so it's interesting, actually, Ben, to your point about disease, that has not been any of the reporting that I've seen. So I don't know if that's something that just has requires a longer timeline to be able to attribute or to track, but uh, got hoping for that cold snap, man. This story is only about three or four days old in terms of the press cycle, press coverage, but like we say, it's been going on there, you know, since October, um, so that is just wild stuff. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's pretty scary. You yeah. definitely you have to watch out for a limp. Is it lymphocytic? I think mm-hmm. it's lymphocytic choreomeningitis or something like that. It's, it's a form of meningitis that can be spread by these guys. But it's, it's very rare. Mm-hmm. And, and also, uh, the symptoms that are described in a, uh, Guardian article quoting Priscilla Stanley from the local health district, uh, the symptoms are like WebMD level. Un- discomforting and vague. Uh, the one of the symptoms that Stanley points out is sore red eyes. I I hate when we're reporting this uh, because it is a symptom. But uh, for anybody who just had a panicked look in the mirror, I promise you, it's probably not related to a mice plague. If you have sore yeah. red eyes, there are any number of other things that could explain that. Mostly them, pink eye. Uh, yeah, or a lack of sleep. You yeah. Know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Guys, can can you imagine the the extraterrestrial, highly intelligent species version of this conversation about humans? Oh yes, I was just can, thinking about that. <laughs> they can like, breed, they, they can replicate one one or two more every nine, eight to nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, they just take over everything. There's the resources. They're filthy. They spread diseases. They ruin every ecosystem they interact with. Well, it's it's funny you mention that, Matt, because we're talking a little bit off air. I think we've mentioned this on the show before, but there's a sci-fi author named Adrian Tchaikovsky that I got really into recently who does, uh, without spoiling his work, he has these fantastic novels that explore what would happen if there were, uh, a, if another life form evolved to become like 
the evolved to fill the ecological niche of humanity, right? They became sentient, the, the ravens, the corvids, the octopuses, and so on. And there is one, um, I believe it is, it's in the doors of Eden, but there's one, um, there's, there's one exploration of what would happen to the planet had a rodent-like creature evolved to become the quote-unquote human and it, it's it's disastrous the, because of the um, overpopulation. But I am sh- yeah sure. Wouldn't you consider humans a plague if you were an extraterrestrial creature and you saw them, you know, heading to your moon on Jupiter or whatever, and be like, these guys are bad news. Totally. And I mean, humans are much more calculatedly bad news. The mice, it's hard to blame them for just their biological imperative, right? I mean, humans Mm -hmm. make some pretty dumb decisions and should know better. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, I'm with you. And this is the kind of thing, too, where it's like, I'd be fascinated to know what the very extreme um, animal rights folks think about this. Would their position be, no, you can't kill the mice, you know, uh, let, let them let them do their thing? Or would they even kind of understand that there was more at stake here than the lives of, of the little little guys? Man, it is weird. Each one is a living thing that feels. It's funny. I've been rewatching Six Feet Under. Really, really special, wonderful show if anyone hasn't checked it out. But um, this isn't a spoiler. It's just a, a character that comes up in a later season, played by Rain Wilson, friend of the podcast or the network. Uh, what's it? Terry Carnation, right? Isn't that uh, mm-hmm. his character on um, Radio Rental? He plays a, an apprentice that uh, joins the, the Fishers in their, their funeral home business, Fisher and Sons, and he and Ruth... The mother uh, kind of hit it off, uh, and one of the ways they initially hit it off is uh, they both say the same thing about, well, we love all living things, but mice deserve to die because they carry germs. There you so, go. There you go. Yeah, poor guys. I mean, the from what I understand, these plagues tend to subside with the seasons, right? Mm-hmm. You, know, you mentioned the cold weather earlier. Yeah, exactly. And that's certainly what the government is. I don't know. I mean, look, I I understand that there's hard decisions you have to make when you're a leader. You have to make the calculation of like, is it worth it to spend the resources to, you know, quell this thing now that only affects a certain portion of the population um, when we think or or are pretty confident that something natural is going to come along and fix it without having to spend a dime? Or are you essentially being cruel and subjecting your citizens to a hellish existence by not stepping in? Um, I don't know the answer to that. It seems to me a little irresponsible because who knows when that cold snap will come. Uh, and who know, you know, given the weirdness of weather and, and who knows when that super rainy season that would be required will come given the drought conditions. So I, I just, I, I don't know. It seems pretty, pretty irresponsible to me. Well, with, with that relatively bleak story, which we'll absolutely keep, uh, an eye on, um, we're going to hop to a, another commercial break and then we'll be back with one more piece of strange news. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. 
Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way. Knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with the Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts hello welcome back i wonder if you can see me can you see me hello well it looks like this a is a video effect of matt 
Going through the wormhole. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm done with That's that. That's pretty now. cool. No, this is definitely going to be the YouTube clip. It I'm has just to get, I'm trying to give Doc Holiday ideas for more music videos. We've already got something working with Taco Bell and what, what's the name of that uh, thing we we're discussing that's no longer there? The Mexican Fiesta Potatoes. A lot of good menu items died. A lot of good menu items died. And, the, uh, the Mexican pizza, I believe Doc's favorite was the Mexi Melt, if I'm not oh, mistaken. The yes. Mexi Melt is yes. gone. We just but you got know that in the chat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, th- I just want to say the cheesy fiesta potatoes came back, so there's hope yet for these uh, extinct menu items. Oh man, and they've still got that chalupa supreme. That's my all-time favorite. Actually, no, the gordita supreme was my favorite. I love the I, I love the the confidence. You know what I mean? The the like the chutzpah to put supreme in the title of this <laughs> stuff. You know what I mean? It's just sour cream, man. It's sour supreme <laughs> and some salsa and stuff. Uh, okay, so we are going to talk a little bit about Epstein today, and we mentioned it at the top of this a uh, right. little bit. We're not going to do that today. We're going to talk about that later. But what we are going to talk about is one specific instance of what happens when one person decides not to leave a house. Um, we've, we've mentioned this before on the show a couple of times. I'm trying to think of the, the full context in which we've discussed it, but the concept of evictions and the rights that an individual or group has when they are living in a place. And now it changes a lot over, especially in the United States, it changes on a state by state basis. Mm-hmm. There are some rules that apply overall, but most of it is it's going to be handled in whichever state you're living in. Now, I'm going to read a story to you from Fox 2 Detroit. This is the headline. Couple buys Riverside Dream Home, but seller refuses to move out in eviction moratorium loophole. So the concept here is that I'll just give it to you the overall thing. Man one owns a $560,000 house. It's a big, really nice $500,000 house. He, need, he calls up a real estate agent and says, hey, man, I really need to sell my home really quickly. It needs to be at least $560,000, and I need to sell it in like two weeks. Let's do this. So real estate agent and man number one put out you know, an ad as you do, or here's the information on this house. We need it sold quickly. Uh, on the other side, you've got a couple, a younger couple that are trying to purchase a home. They identify this home. They realize that it's worth more than that amount of money on the market. So they think, oh, this is a great deal. We're going to buy this house. We're going to scrap together all the money, get some loans, make it happen right now. Let's do this. That was in January of 2020, I believe, when that occurred. January 31st. That is the purchase date of the home. That is when $560,000 went into the bank account of person one the guy who owned the house and was living in the house. Now, that occurs, and usually there's a contract if you're buying or selling a home, if you're renting, you're moving, anything like that, there's a contract that says when you are allowed to move in to this new purchase or this newly rented, newly leased home. In this case, that date came, and it went, because when the couple arrived there to try and take over the new property, the man just decided he wasn't going to leave. Hey. He says, yeah, I know you, you, you know, paid for this house and transferred all of these documents to you. It's all legal. It's all written out. Everybody's got it. The banks are involved. Everybody knows. 
there's a legal purchase here, but I'm not leaving. Um, and there's a bit of weirdness occurring here because this was in early January of 2020. And we all remember that a couple of months from that point, just like I think around a month and a half from that point, we all realized as a world that there was a pandemic going on and nobody could really leave their homes at all. I don't see in this reporting exactly how that came into play here, at least from a timeline standpoint, but it is very, very odd to imagine that this could happen and like a sheriff or a police officer wouldn't be able to go to the house, do the police knock on the door and then just say, get out, get out. This is not your house. Leave. And apparently that, that will not occur. Is it because of squatters rights or something? I don't understand. Why, why can't they do that? Like, you know, people get evicted all the time. People's stuff gets thrown out into yards if they miss a rent payment. Um, they're saying, I mean, it's weird. Like, here, here's, here's a quote from the article from an eviction attorney named Dennis Block. He says, this person is not a tenant. It's a previous owner who is enjoying the benefits of the money that was transferred to, uh, to his account, but he doesn't want to move out of the premises that he no longer owns. He's like, just saying like, that's what's going on here. Um, (laughs) so according to what's been written up here in this article, they're saying that they closed the escrow in January, 2020, and they've contacted authorities. They've been attempting for a long time now this, uh, to, uh, to get this person out, but they've gotten nowhere. And they're saying it's like a COVID tenant situation. Um, the concept where there's been a moratorium on evictions, right? Um, in a lot of places, be, and rightly so, it's been it's been made much more difficult to evict someone from a home. If you are the landowner and someone is renting that property, you can't just kick someone on the street because people are having problems making rent payments right now. Mm-hmm. Obviously, people are having trouble doing that. Mm-hmm. Watch John Oliver. He's got a whole special on it. You can learn all about it. But... In this case, that is not at all the situation. And it appears that that's what is occurring here. So it's kind of like, uh, just for a comparison, it's, um, well, there are two comparisons. I don't know which is helpful, but the easiest one is, let's say you sell someone a car and you say, thanks for the cash. And you drive away in the car you sold them. Right. And you still use the car and and, uh, you just refuse to hand over the keys. The other less helpful comparison I would make uh, just because I enjoy it is let's say uh, let's say you go to Taco Bell and you pay for a Mexi melt and the person you pay takes the money and then starts to eat it in front of you. That's (laughs) well, that's just cruel. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's inhumane. And it seems like in this case, um, this person, this person doesn't fall under some uh, or they shouldn't fall under some of those loopholes because it's not as if they are financially unable to acquire other accommodation. Right. Like they were they were paid house level money, which lets you do some some pretty big moves if you wish. Uh, I don't I don't understand why that person like I. You're right. Squatter rules, as as they're commonly called, um, I don't know how they would apply because some states have, you know, some states have a baked in statute, right? A time limit. Like if you are squatting on an abandoned property for insert number of years here, 
then you become considered like a legal occupant or there's a path to that. But, um, you know, and I want to be very careful, Matt, not to ascribe motive if I don't, if I'm just guessing uh, or to call this person a terrible person if we don't know their circumstances, right? There may be some compelling issue. Right? Yeah, we, we have no idea what this situation is. Again, th- this is like a little Fox uh, report on this about a person who sold a home and won't leave. A uh, friend of the show, Peyton Fisher, who I believe you've all met, uh, is a an eviction attorney in, in Brooklyn, New York. And he has some very interesting and colorful uh, cast of characters and scenarios of all varieties that, you know, cross different kind of like extra legal kind of <laughs> areas sometimes. Uh, so I would be interested to get his take on this. Um you know, because it is such an interesting gray area. I wonder if he's ever even heard of this, uh, this, this idea. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, it's, it's definitely a weird situation. What, what I would just, um, th- this is what I would say, and maybe, maybe, maybe you guys will like this very much. I think there needs to be a company, like a private company, that is kind of like a towing company. You know, these towing companies that will find out there's a. There's a car that's overdue or something on the on the payments for like three months. They can't locate the vehicle, but then they mm-hmm. have essentially a private investigator track down the vehicle and a tow truck yeah. will go out a re- and get a repo, it. A repo company. Oh, right. Right? Uh, thank you. Thank you for uh, explaining in one word what I was trying yeah. to say. <laughs> made, uh, made famous uh, by Emilio Estevez. That's right. Repo From the, man. The, the weird, very, well, it's a very uh, genre kind of a uh, uh, B movie repo man. Very strange, but but a classic. Um, and, interesting and, stuff. Yeah. Well, let's, let's not comedy. forget the, the genetic opera, but, mm-hmm. um, but what I'm saying is there needs to be a company that is like that, but okay. for like a lawful, like an eviction where someone just won't leave, mm-hmm. where they've got elaborate ruses, where somebody comes to the front door and, you know, puts on a show of some sort to get them outside of the home. Then another person like sneaks out and like, you know, gets them out of the house, then locks the door and then changes the locks really fast. <laughs> oh, there's potential for it because the, the how do we say this carefully? Uh, from what I understand, the legal owner of this house went and tried to fix the yard. Mm-hmm. And then the dude ran out and, and tore up the, the sprinklers or the sprinkler line they had set down. So this is definitely a get off my lawn type of dude. So just uh, get on the lawn. Get on the lawn, bait them out mm-hmm. like the mice, yep. then uh, lock him in a place where he can't see for 40 days, and you've got a full episode of stuff they don't want you to know. You know, I have to say, um, one thing that really stood out to me in this, man, is that the uh, the eviction attorney you mentioned, uh, Dennis Block, says well, it's not unique, that there mm-hmm. have been almost 10 other examples of this, but... I, at the risk of sounding unempathetic, it feels like the most important thing to remember here is that these eviction moratoriums were written in a hurry, and they were very much necessary for a huge part of the U.S. population. Uh, but this this is very clearly not the spirit of the law as it was intended. And I don't think you have to have graduated from Harvard or something to clock that. The the people who bought the home went all in 
You know what I mean? This is, they did not, as they say in Gattaca, save anything for the swim back. And the person who is, um, to add insult to injury, petty insult to injury, apparently the person who is continuing to live in the home they sold, they're not taking care of it. So imagine you spent thousands, like you have saved for years and years and years, and you've basically paid for a very expensive piece of sadistic performance art where somebody makes you watch them ruin your Mexi melt. Like this is, <laughs> and, and you paid much more than you would. And you just you paid know, half a million about. dollars for that Mexi melt. Yeah, I want right. to know more about this person. Sounds like a bit of a sociopath. Well, and who knows? Again, who knows what's going on there? Right. Um, but again, I'm ready to start that company. If anybody out there listening uh, wants to, and I, I will, if you're a heavy, like you, whoever you are, you'd have to play the heavy probably, but I can, I can dance around on a lawn, make a nuisance. I can play that other part. You just let me know. <laughs> what What about, um? you've heard of improv everywhere, right? They'd be perfect mm-hmm. for this. Yeah. <gasps> yeah, that's what, uh, that's who I would contact. Um, Just to, just to immediately, it's improv everywhere is a, a really fun and smart, optimistic uh, approach to the generation of fake crowds. And it's very like, it is incredibly easy to do. So you can, you know, uh, don't, don't think of it like a government manufacturing or protest It's much easier than that. All you have to do is uh, all you have to do is like get on the right forum, tell people, to show up, if you, it depends on how honest you want to be with the people too in this company, Matt. Like you could just say you're casting extras for a film. That's what uh, one bank robber did something like that. Cast extras, had everybody show up in the same costume as the bank robber was wearing, and then just poof, Kaiser Sose into the crowd. Brilliant. Don't do it. I can't legally co-sign that. Uh, but but yeah, this this is this is a serious problem. Like Noel, I want to know more about the person in that house. Is there a reason that they cannot leave? You know, I mean, I imagine they're spending that money on something, right? There was a $30,000 tax lien on the property, but are they like, um, is there perhaps uh, some sort of physical or medical condition, right? I don't know. I was wondering that too, Ben. That's a really good point. Perhaps the person is unable to leave for some reason, and it's not just a willful uh, disregard for the contract that they entered into, which apparently uh, isn't as ironclad as one might think. Uh, I did pass this on to friend of the show and uh, tenant lawyer uh, Peyton Fisher, and hopefully we'll have some word back by the next episode. Perhaps we can do a follow-up. All right, sounds good. Well, that's it from from me, guys. If you liked any of the stories we talked about today and you want to discuss them further, you want to add your own personal experience and just get us up to speed to where you are, all right, you can reach out to us. You can find us anywhere. We are all over social media. On Twitter and Facebook, we are Conspiracy Stuff. And on Instagram, we are Conspiracy Stuff Show. On Facebook, you can find Here's Where It Gets Crazy. That's our our show page. Which, by the way, guys, we've been getting an increased number of these fake Facebook notifications about our page and violations. Sure. Uh, just watch out. the real ones. Oh, yeah. about, about <laughs> content being removed? Those aren't real? No. No. Yeah. It's about uh, shutting down. You got to shut down and all this stuff. Click on a link. Be careful out there if you're getting those two. It's not real. At least most of them. And if you say, well, that is a great argument for not using social media 
in general, right? Uh, I, I spend my deep time differently, then you can give us a call. Tell us about uh, tell us about mice plagues. Tell us about other plagues. Tell us what you think. We should do an episode on squatter rights. I think that's fascinating. Um, and tell us uh, whether you would participate in a crazy uh, deep time isolation experiment. You can tell us directly. Just call us. It's one eight three three S T D W Y T K. You have three minutes. They belong to you. Uh, do with them as you will. Uh, we do like to recommend if you're if you're like kind of stumbling and get stressed about that three minute time limit uh we do have a helpful structure tell us your name or nickname you prefer whether we can use your name on air tell us what's on your mind if there's something you want to just send to us personally that's fine save that for the end most importantly if three minutes is not enough time do not edit do not censor yourself write to us and tell us the whole story uh, you can do that very easily via our good old-fashioned email address, where we are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wooden! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.